You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karam, and with me is a rising political star, right? Former former news editor for the Sentinel. When I was working for you, I think the only star that was associated with my name was going to be how many of them were around my head if I didn't get my stories. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> Danica Rome, and Danica is going to talk to us a little bit about Virginia politics and 2024. So stick around. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, welcome back. It's Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karam. And um, you recently won a Senate race in Virginia. Glenn Youngkin had come out with abortion as an issue saying, you know, we're going to pass. And for those who don't know, Glenn Youngkin is the, uh, well, the governor of Virginia, all other uh, description, descriptive terms I'll leave off. But the Republican governor from Virginia who had used abortion as a as a leverage issue and saying we're going to take over the Senate and the House. And he lost both. Yes. So, <laughs> that was it. so. I'll, so, are we drinking to that? So, here is one point five million dollars statewide buy to elevate the issue of abortion. I I called a Republican who I knew, and I said, "This is a Glenn Youngkin vanity project gone so awry. Do they not understand in his camp between Dave Rockstrad and Matt Moran, his, his chief advisors?" that if you are playing on the abortion field right now, you're playing on democratic turf and you're going to lose that argument. And they're doing exactly the wrong thing. They could take $1.5 million and give it to a candidate and try to win a seat. (laughs) Right. And well, they lost. Yeah, you lost control of the Senate and the House. How do you think this... I, I I take a look at it, and how do you think it portends for twenty twenty four, or is there any any so uh, translation? This is okay. You've got more people who can be part of host committees for fundraisers, or put together fundraisers, or you know get the donor class vote. You have fewer people to launch canvases, for example, and encourage you know volunteers. Hey, um, so and so is going to be you know launching this uh, canvas. Come on and meet this person. You can ask questions, take pictures, and then we'll go out and knock doors together. One fewer person who's going to be launching phone banks and one fewer person who's going to be doing the work to win an election, right? Whereas now with Democratic majorities in the House and the Senate in Virginia, because we have a Democratic majority in the Senate right now, 2218, the one we'll have going in will be 2119. So, you know, tighter, and I'm the 21st seat. You know, right. mine was the tightest of the Democratic ones that, you know, where we actually won. We had two very close elections that the Republicans won in the set for Senate. And then in terms of red or blue to red flip opportunities for them in 2027, I'll be their top target. 
But in the meantime, they're going to have to figure out what do we do about one of them on their side who won less than 50% of the vote and the other one who won by like less than a two point margin. They're going to have very large issues that they're going to have to deal with in their own, in their own caucus too. So what it means for 2024, if you're Tim Kaine running for states, if I'm running for U.S. Senate, and if you're whoever the Democratic nominees are going to be for the, um, for the seventh district and the 10th district for Congress, um, those are going to be, you know, you're going to have, you're going to see a lot of Democrats running. Um, if Congresswoman uh, Spanberger ends up running for governor, I think you'll end up seeing a lot of people running for VA7. And my Congresswoman, Jennifer Wexton, obviously she's dealing with, you know, a world of a tragedy of the health issue. And I mean, you're going to have a clown car worth of candidates coming out going, it's <laughs> uh -huh. just like one after the next after that. So what happens? How does that portend on a national scale or does it? So on a national scale, if you're going to learn a lesson as a Democrat, you're going to probably look at, okay, what issues did Russet Perry win, for example, went on? And she really went hard on abortion on broadcast TV, you know, all through the DC media market for, you know, months in a row. You know, she, right. you know, we had significant amount of money that went to her, you know, for the message. If you were to look at how did Skylar Van Valkenburg win that Henrico seat, what his message was, he was talking about, you know, abortion was part of it for sure, but he was also talking about gun violence prevention. And he did a really strong ad because he's a teacher where it's a 30 second ad where the kids practice a lockdown drill and it's him guarding the kids and guarding the door and saying like, this shouldn't be normal. And yet it has become normal. So gun violence prevention in Rico was also a really big issue that he played up and the fact that he's a teacher. So he could speak to education issues with a lot of credibility and being like, so you think that translates nationally? Yeah, but I would also caution one thing: don't just look at a race here and there and extrapolate that out and say like, okay, that's the national message. Let's go. Yes, abortion rights being salient is important. Yes, gun violence prevention is important. Awesome, know your district. That is so so important. You've got to know your district. In my race. Our TV ads were about fixing roads, feeding kids, fighting data center sprawl. That's what I ran on. We didn't run any abortion TV ads. My negative ad was about how the Washington Post had reported my challenger had, when he was a Fairfax County um, police detective, he had uh, basically engaged in double dipping, where he was out of state at the time and yet still taking his taxpayer from its salary you know, back home and shocked, just shocked. Quote the post, he had lied about it. And they, you know, when, when you look at the investigative file, it was basically saying that, hey, if he had not resigned, he would have been fired. We used that ad because it undercut the two central claims that he was trying to make other than transphobia, which was his closing, you know, uh, basically for the last month in the change of the campaign, which was that he was gonna be tough on crime. Well, you're tough on crime, but the cops don't even trust you. That was the first one. And then the second part on that was you're going to run as a fiscal conservative against my you know, tax raising and tax whatever. It's like what you took taxpayer dollars when you weren't supposed to be taking taxpayer dollars. And so, you know, that ad to us was just like, you know, we went after credibility more than anything on that. And so 
we did run mailers about abortion, you know, here and there. We ran a handful of those and we probably had some digital support with it as well. But I tried to do a lot of positive messaging because I knew they didn't have a chance to defeat me without really bringing down my favorables and getting their name ID up as they did it. And they tried for it. So we did instead of what I thought was something different, which was we used an inoculation strategy. We went rather than like, okay, let's destroy him. And then whatever. It's like, no, no, keep mind. If you get into that back and forth, just yeah. all negative, then you're not positively defining yourself. You're not giving a counter narrative to that. You're not giving the reason to believe. So we spent the first six weeks on TV and our mail and stuff, giving people a reason to believe. Hey, here, yeah, actually eight weeks total, when I think about it uh, all through, of here's my record. These are the things I've gotten done for the district, for Fixed Roads being kids and everything that, you know, really leaned into my record. And when you have a positive record to run on, yes, it's important to talk about how civil rights are at stake, to talk about gun violence. It's also important for a good candidate to talk about, here's what I will do for you, not just what I'm against. Yeah. And, you, you know, you, you talk about that. That's, by the way, the presidential strategy going forward into 2024. I will tell you, though, uh, like, look, this is uh, I, I'm not going to use this interview to get into the foreign policy discussion or whatever. What I will say, though, is when I was knocking doors, I did have some Muslim constituents who told me they were not voting and that, that Gaza was the reason why. They're not voting? That they told me. One of them in particular, I remember, told me through his ranking of Danica, I really like what you're doing. You're doing a great job. But he was really upset, you know, at the national level there. And at this other on the other hand, on the other side though, you know, I could have, you know, a Jewish constituent who very much could feel very differently in that regard, right? That issue right now is very hot and it is very divisive to be in play. It's going to be in play in 2024, like without question. And I would suggest that the Biden administration and whatever Democrats in Congress and stuff, they're going to really, really have to think about, you know, what their message is going to be in terms of what's going on in Gaza and Israel. That's a big, big issue. Now, I won, you know, and my, you know, my constituents by and large did come out, but in the last two weeks of the campaign, we were hearing about it at the door. No question. We did hear about it. Do you, that's a, it's, it's, do you think people, all right, I could see them. What you said, I think is the, is the issue. Not that they'd vote for Trump or they'd vote Republican. Stay home. Do they stay home and not vote? Yeah. That's it. And you, and, and you think it's that a, this is a warning that I'm giving out you know, to them right now, which is you need to go and talk to people of a lot of different favorite comfort bubble is whatever you know your skin tone is go talk to someone who looks different than you who believes different than you who has a different point of view than you do just like a good reporter does you need to have a lot of different sources who are giving you a lot of different feedback right now because have you told this to the national committee or to the president or anybody well, on the staff? You and this being a national podcast, <laughs> I assume someone somewhere will hear something. But no, I mean, like, uh, well, thank you for that. And yes, we will. But it's funny that you say it because I've said this repeatedly over the last three years. Get out of their comfort zone. They tell us we did infrastructure. We did infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And they're waiting for people to understand they did infrastructure. Meanwhile, you got... 
the other side of the fence, sucking all the oxygen out of the room, talking about ways in which to be scared of of the Democrats. But there's no one really with a daily message of what it is that the Democrats have done. And they don't address that issue that you talked about very well at all. I would say like what well, there's a lot that they can do in terms of leaning out on infrastructure and the, you know, Secretary Pete loves pointing out the very Republicans who voted against the infrastructure bill yes. show up to the ribbon cuttings. I know. You know, and it's just like, you know, so one thing, you know, that like I remember when Secretary Pete was being interviewed by Stephen Colbert, one thing he mentioned is like putting the big signs up there, like, you know, that was for my yeah. When I was a kid growing up, you couldn't drive down the highway. Your your federal highway taxes at work. Yeah. So you knew where it was coming when from. You're, when you go down I-66, you see a sign that says the Eisenhower Interstate you know, System. And it's just like, Dwight Eisenhower's been dead for how long? And he's still getting credit? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That note, we're going we're gonna to take a short commercial break. And when we get back, I got a question for you. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth with Brian's in depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caramel. With us is Virginia State Senator. Wow, that's... that's Senator-elect. Senator-elect. Still delegate. Still a delegate. January 10th at 1159 a.m. And then you're a state senator. Oh, Mama uh, raised a state senator. Yeah. How's Mama feel about that? Mama, who, is, who last voted for a Democrat for president in 1976, and I quote, and that was a mistake. Was, uh, <laughs> Jimmy Carter. Yes. yes. But again... A mistake, huh? That's it for... For my mom, uh, but uh, no, she she she's happy for me, not for the Democratic Party. <laughs> she, she's still a staunch Republican, eh? My ma called her Republican delegate asking for uh, constituent service help before she called her kid, and um, wow, her uh, delegate then reminded me about this on the House floor, <laughs> and then I called my ma and I said, "Ma." Your favorite delegates on the line. It's not me here. Yeah, that's great. Oh, <laughs> oh moms, aren't yeah, they great? She got what she needed though, and because of me, it turned out because I managed to get her. Uh, basically, the pastor, uh, pastor of her of her church, that there was an immigration related issue, and I was able to put her in touch with someone from Catholic Conference in Richmond, who was able to um, basically, you know, kind of work with some other people. And they elevated that in federal level, and we were, had been reaching out to uh, Congressman Lorga's office at the time, um, and then they got the issue resolved, which is good. So you know, it's been solved. There you go, uh, Mom. And it was Danica who did it. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then I sent it. Uh, actually, it was uh, the Catholic Conference the lobbyist. Even though he posted with my bills before, I still get along. I said, "Here's my mom." I said, "Would you mind if I gave you my mom yourself, and would you mind if you actually called her?" And look, that's what you got to do. There you go. What? One of the very important lessons learned in the legislature is someone who's not with you on one thing 
very well may be the best advocate that you have on something else. And so don't burn bridges unless someone has committed a cardinal sin in the General Assembly. And that happens. Yes, of course. And, and it happens in Congress on a daily basis, but that's a different story. <laughs> uh, let me ask you this. Let me just ask you this question. If you were running against Donald Trump, what would your campaign strategy be? <laughs> in the newsroom, I'll use a less... Uh, uh, well, in the newsroom, we used to just say, like, you know, give them rope and, like, let them do the work. Right. Right. So, so on that, I think, keep in mind, right? He's had a lot of rope. <laughs> Here's, well, yes, his supporters were carrying it and asking Mike Pence to, you know, yeah, to, to jump into it. <laughs> yeah. Like the Mel Brooks film, they're just like, oh, well, he was 16, 16 and a half. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> You're, don't act like him, don't be him. You, like he's going to be himself and he has a brand that is built on that be yourself and remember with this that the alternative to him isn't someone who's just louder and more obnoxious than he is that's not it it's something that is actually constructive with brand management behind it and a lot of comms that's a big thing that well that's what the what the biden administration yeah. lacks is decent comms i think right like, well i'm not gonna be the person who who criticizes uh the uh the incumbent president no, the press secretary because i'm not i'm not i think she's very nice i love kareen i'm not i'm not criticizing her i'm criticizing it what i've said often is that i think the administration misses some of its Can best opportunities general, yeah as reporter turned legislator I mean, I got a problem with PR people in general. Yeah, no, well. <laughs> There's also that. Well, there is that. <laughs> but I think that, um, well, first of all, I, I'm, I, I've said this publicly. I'm not sure that Donald Trump will be on the ballot next November. He's got, uh, he has been found in a civilian court to be liable for rape and liable for as a fraud. He's been impeached twice. He is facing 91 felony charges in four different jurisdictions. <laughs> and he's not Neo in the Matrix. I, I don't think he's dodging all those bullets. He doesn't have the flexibility. <laughs> he doesn't. Have, so I'm not sure. And I and I think there is a lane opening for Nikki Haley um, or even uh, Chris Christie. But There's I, not one for Glenn Young. I don't see a Glenn Young, Youngkin there's Lane not, not. anywhere. I don't. I don't see that on an inside track, outside track, underground. The over lane he has is to be governor of Virginia for the next two years with a Democratic majority in both chambers, and then to lose. So he has two choices. He can either, you know, Politico was right about this. Like you can either. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, go ahead. <clears throat> either be Mr. Vito or Mr. Bipartisan, and then he's going to be Mr. Vito. Not necessarily because you think he could. There's consequences to that. If you're Mr. Vito, then you don't get a promise. I mean, right. like, you know, like all your nominations get, and then you need the legislature to do free. Executive authority runs out. There's only so much. We are a co equal branch of government. Right. And if you turn into Mr. Vito, then there are consequences to that. That's a problem. And so he's going to have to pick his battles. And, you know, the battles that I'm, you know, putting forward fixing roads, feeding kids. I'm going to strongly recommend those not be the battles because you don't want to be on the wrong side of feeding children and people getting killed on the road. 
Sure you do. If you're, <laughs> if you're a fiscal conservative, we can't afford the roads. We can't afford the kids. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. You, all right, so, but you can't afford a lot of caskets then. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and guns. Yeah, I get it. I, I know where you're going, but the, well, I, I will. You think an infrastructure, uh, you know, fix is expensive. You know how much it costs when someone can't afford to bury a loved one? Yeah. 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 Death is a very expensive life event. <laughs> For everyone else who watched, sure is. <laughs> and, and suddenly I heard that in, in Carlin's voice. I don't know why. When you said that, yeah, I just. It's a very expensive life event. Yeah, I can hear it in George Carlin's Our, voice. And George, as you said, he's like, the secret to life is not dying. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> and Woody Allen, who said, uh, you know, there are people who. who uh, want to live forever in their work he goes i want to live forever by not dying uh -huh. <laughs> yeah that's i'm in <laughs> come back yeah hey now <laughs> so so here we go 2024 i gotta tell you this is this is just me but man there are times i've never felt we've lived in weirder i was not alive in 1968 i was right but you were also young uh, i remember it yeah. very well but it's uh, that's the year it's often compared to and it's the sort of thing because like you had active assassinations going around well and it was more than that 68 was this great music great music 68 was great fucking music which offset all the other shit you had to put up with but you had martin luther king yeah martin luther king jr died and then, uh, yeah, well, assassinated. Bobby. And Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. And Malcolm X were, was yeah. assassinated. You had riots at the Democratic National Convention in Chicago. And overlying all of that, what I remember most about that time, because I remember our next-door neighbor coming home in a body bag was the Tet Offensive. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's the one thing we don't have now. But what I think we do have now is a everyone has a voice on the internet. Everyone has a voice that they didn't have back then. And some people's voices are, I think today because of uh, – of the internet, social media, I think it's hyper inflated everything. And people have a greater feeling of their own self-worth and there's nothing wrong with that. And I mean, there's great that, you know, you, everyone has a voice, but it's like um, information and congeniality and politeness have left the building. <laughs> you? Um, well, you mean transgender legislator who's on a social media platform? <laughs> yes, a transgender. <laughs> you tell me. Do I hear negativity? <laughs> um, well, what I will say is that when the uh, Republican side this year sent 30 plus negative mailers against me, they leaned so hard in on transphobia that what they did that was unique this time around compared to the past is they had three fake positive mailers sent to my district uh, during GOTV weekend where uh, I'll just even just pull up one and just like read it to you. Read it to me. These things were so outlandish and so far just like removed from decency. They have one here with a bearded drag queen and it says, we owe it to Virginia children to expose them to people who lead different lifestyles. And thanks to the 
first openly transgender Virginia House of Delegates member, Danica Rome, our children will get that opportunity. And then they say that I advocate for it. Parents never have too much power in schools, exposing children to people of different lifestyles at an early age. So they put this out. They put out this fake positive, right? Because what they're trying to do is say, Piss trans, people off. They're trying to say, transgender legislator is transgender. That's the first one. Then they but use a decent picture of you, though. Then they sound this. These are, it's, remember, fake positive. Virginia transgender athletes deserve a land protection. Lee Thomas is not a Virginia athlete. Yeah. And then they have, and Danica Rome is the transgender politician to give it to them. Now, Brian. Danica, are you transgender? Brian, I have something to tell you. Oh my God, what? I'm a transgender woman. Oh my Lord. You told me that when you, when you, uh, first time you interviewed with me, by the way. And then uh, you, and, and I can't say what your response to me was, but you just, you just said, um, so you're trying like, yes, no, and this is the first time I've interviewed. Um, you told me this is the first time you've interviewed. Is I, I said, you're looking nervous. Yes, and then you said, why the bleep would I give a bleep? I just want to know, can you do the bleeping job? Yeah. I need someone to cover Rockville City Council <laughs> and keep them in that room in line. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, I can do that. And the other thing, of course, that you mentioned was um, this job pays for bleep. Why the bleep would you place for shit? Why would you want to fucking work here? <laughs> that's that's when I knew I wanted to. I wanted the job. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, I remember that very well. And and I uh, so I I'm not shocked to hear that you're transgender. You. Uh, <laughs> third one of that series, by the way, that he did was they then sent one with like Dylan Mulvaney's photo on the front and blah blah. blah right at the same time, they sent out those. So you know this was coordinated for, and it was designed by the same, you know, whoever. I know. <laughs> they had another Republican outside group send a mailer uh, of the same uh, geometry and also had people tell, like, uh, call Dana Carone to, and keep up the pressure against Dana Carone. And they gave out my personal cell number in two mailers in a row with this. Oh, good Lord. Did you get a lot of calls? I get two calls. One person told me, well, I'm definitely not voting for Bill Wolf. I just had to ask you about this. <laughs> I'm like, well, you had me there. <laughs> and the second one was someone who's not even a constituent. He owns a business in my district, but he lives outside of it. And we're going to go get lunch next week. Well, God bless. <laughs> it turned out well for you. Thanks. Really, it was a matchmaker. A <laughs> match made in heaven. You know, just as someone who is engaged, I'm so sorry for being off the market, but it was a really nice attempt by the Republicans to really try to play direct mail tenure. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's what I got to tell you. This is just me. But I look at these efforts as you describe them, and I see them in so many races. And I just go, it's so transparently horrible. Mm -hmm. it, as as, And I don't mean politics. I mean, it's in some districts, it might work. Not in yours, obviously. Not in one where there's educated people. <laughs> but it, it, but they, that's the best effort that they have. So let, let me put it this way. When it, but the, but when, running abortion-related, like, you know, stuff against the Republicans, their counter was 
You know how there was like 10 trans kids and all of out of 1.26 million public school students last year who wanted to play sports with their friends? That is the national threat of a lifetime, and we need to quash that. And that's what oh, I know. it's all going to be about. And it's just like out of context, most, out of it. it it's, most people don't know a trans student athlete. Most don't. And then this that you have to go through in order to qualify for the waiver and the VHSL. The parents have stuff. The principal has to sign off. The person doesn't have a competitive advantage. They have to go through the whole transition and then present this to a board. All of that. But a lot of people know someone who's had an abortion. A lot of people do. And a lot of people also know someone who also needs birth control, which are inherently linked together. And so when you have one party that's- <laughs> I'll go you one better. Most people know someone who's been shot indiscriminately. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that checks out. I mean, every reporter who's ever spent a day covering yeah. know, courts and, you know, cops and courts has. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. All of that. Yep. But that's my point, doesn't it? I, I mean, I don't know. As a person, mm -hmm. as a reporter, maybe I'm just constantly naive. But, you know, I've been doing this since 1980. And I have never... Okay, I'm old. I get it. But uh, I, I still have a little hair. Yeah, that's it. And it's still dark and I'm still sexy. Oh, and so anyone that America's most wanted is saying that's on the gutter. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but but here's the yeah, don't there's there's a story there about it. But all of that being said, I, I'm just it, you're on the other side of it now. You you and I have worked together as reporters and we've had these yeah. these conversations. Aren't you just, it doesn't part of you just, aren't you repulsed by the lack of humanity and empathy? Here's the funny thing. Don't play politician on me. No, I'm not going to play politician. Okay. All that's different with that lack of humanity now is just that you have a screen, whether it's your phone, your laptop, your TV, whatever, that's reminding you of that directly to you. Constantly. But if you were a person of color, in Virginia in the 1950s. Do you think that that was just, you know, the greatest time in civilization history? Exactly. Probably not because you had terrible people doing terrible things to you. And I think that all, all the only thing that's different now is just that it's more amplified so that everyone sees it and consumes it at this point. So here's the question. Here's the follow-up to that. Yeah. Do you think that awareness of that problem and the hyperactivity due to social media leads to a solving this problem finally and moving on or b being mired in it like the middle ages for hundreds of years or for maybe forever b. do you think you, you have no hope for a uh what the hope for a is that social media would either have to fundamentally completely alter its existence as we know it or it wouldn't have to, it would have to be driven by nonprofit entities. We'll be right back. Hey, you, yeah, you, we're talking to you and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love 
and the facts you deserve. Let me ask you this as we leave. Hope? No hope? You were the one that had your darkest going forward. Hope or no hope? I have hope, not for social media. I have hope in general. For people? Yeah. Like, but social media. Tell me a hopeful story, Danica. A hopeful story is that. Let's end on a hopeful story and you tell it. A hopeful story is a 10-year-old closet case crying herself to sleep because she had her first fantasy about a guy and now she's a four-term or, you know, been elected four times to the Virginia General Assembly as someone who's actually out and not afraid of who she is. That's hope. I don't have the luxury of nihilism. I don't get to. I don't get to have abandonment of hope. Because when you do, that means you've exited the arena. And you know who fills your space when you do? People who want to do bad things. If you don't have that, if the, I'll say it, as a reporter, I did everything in my power to be a neutral, dispassionate, third-party observer. And when I covered Barack Obama closing his 2008 campaign in my hometown, in Manassas, at the fairgrounds, it was, I, I would have to have been a robot to not have felt something in that moment because there was so much hope in what he was saying. He was talking about hope for a country. That was one of the most inspiring things. I didn't allow that to influence my coverage, but how I felt when I went to vote the next day was incredibly inspired about like, hey, there's hope. Danica, thanks for joining me. We'll catch you next time. And the name of this podcast is Just Ask the Question. You can catch us wherever fine podcasts are sold. The name of the book is called Free the Press. And, of course, you can catch my column every week in Salon. I want to thank you guys for joining us. We'll catch you again next week, next time. Have a good week.